The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Our scripture this morning is Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The word of God for the people of God. All right. Hey, respect to those of you who are sitting in a different seat this week than you usually do. I see you. There's not many of you, but there's a few of you. Um, Hey, I suspect you're here this morning in part because you find the modern world dissatisfying. You find something about the modern world dissatisfying. Um, Our modern world that we live in tries to convince you that you live within an imminent frame. In other words, that all that you're looking for, for meaning and significance and purpose in life and joy can be found right here, right now. And so that you should pour all your energy and all your efforts and all your attention into this life and your own pursuits because that's where you're gonna find everything you want. There's nothing beyond us. There's nothing above us. There's nothing transcendent. There's just the here and now. And I suspect that you're here because something about that doesn't ring true to you. Maybe you've chased that dream long enough to achieve some things in life and you've realized they don't satisfy. They don't give you what they promise to give you. Or maybe it's just that you've stood on top of a mountain or looked up at the night sky and had that sense that there's something glorious and majestic and beyond 
that really is there in the world. But however it's come, I suspect that one of the reasons you're sitting in a church this morning considering whether there is a God and whether he has spoken is because something about the modern world feels flat to you. And what I'm trying to do in this little series we're calling Church 101 is just to help you apply that same line of reasoning to the church. To help you think about the fact that the church is not just some social entity. It's not some human invention. Rather, the Bible tells us that the church is the people of God. That God is up to something. And that we are participating in a story that's bigger than us that's bigger than this moment, and that's bigger than our small lives. When we gather together, God is up to something. And therefore, we need to ask, what is a biblical church? What does the Word of God say about what the church is and does? If it's true that this is something God is doing, what can we learn about what God is up to and what it means for us to walk in his ways. What is a biblical church? That's the question we've been asking over the past four weeks in this little series that we're just calling Church 101. And here's what we've seen so far. We started out observing that a biblical church is an evangelistic church. We looked at Acts chapter 17. Second, we saw that a biblical church is a community of discipleship. We looked at the Great Commission, the last words Jesus said to his disciples. And then finally, last week, we looked at the reality that a biblical church is a worshiping church. We looked at Psalm 96 and its invitation to worship God. Today, I want to conclude this series with this simple truth. A biblical church is a praying church. So I want to look together at what does it mean for us to be a praying people? This is the aspect of the church, that I think everything in our modern lives works against. Um, prayer is difficult to begin with. Few of you are brilliant at prayer. Even the greatest, most uh, well-known Christians in history have said prayer is the place where we most struggle as people. And you and I have more distractions than anyone else in history. Why pray when you can scroll, you can swipe, you can stream? We've got a lot working against us. But I want us to be a praying church. God wants us to be a praying church. I suspect you want to be a person who is prayerful. And so I'm praying that you might walk out of here this morning hungrier to pray, more inspired to pray, more committed to pray. And so we're going to look this morning at the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 4. As you've noticed in this series, as we ask, what is a biblical church? What should this church be? We're trying to just go back to, well, what was the church intended to be in the first place? What did Jesus say the church should be? What did the apostles build the church to be? What did the earliest Christians live out together in their lives? And so we're going to, again, look at the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 4. Let me set the stage for you. Before we go there, let me just set the, the, the moment in history that we're going to find ourselves in. In this chapter of Acts, it's about eight weeks after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's poured out on his church the gift of the Holy Spirit, which has given them great courage and faith to preach the gospel. One of the things that even the most skeptical readers of history have to make sense of is how did this really frightened, fragmented, raggedy band of followers of Jesus become courageous people who told Jerusalem that Jesus had risen from the dead and then birthed a worldwide movement. What happened to make that happen? Well, Acts tells us the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church and that gave them courage and boldness to proclaim God's word. And in the wake of that, the church in Jerusalem has grown from 120 to 3,000. That's a pretty big church service. I mean, if you think it's hard to find a seat in here sometimes, imagine that kind of growth in a very short amount of time. And, and since that, Peter and John have healed a lame man in the name of Jesus. And this guy's walking around and everybody can see him and they can see that he's walking. And he says, these guys prayed for me in the name of Jesus and I was healed. So now the church swells from 3,000 to 5,000. Jerusalem is a buzz about this new movement of Jesus followers. And the Jewish authorities aren't thrilled about that. And so they arrest Peter and John, two of the early leaders of the church. They throw them in jail for a night. They bring them out the next morning. They threaten them and tell them to stop talking about Jesus. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. So if you have a Bible, let's go there together. If you're using a Bible that's under your seat, you'll find it on page 858. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, we read this. When they were released, Peter and John, that is, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. What God's people do when they experience hardship, difficulty, uncertainty, confusion, is they pray. And I want to show you four things prayer does. Here's the first one. Prayer orients us to the character of God. Prayer orients us to the character of God. Keep in mind, these early Christians have just been arrested, threatened, and told that they're not to teach or speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Now, that's a disorienting experience. Like if you've ever suffered social consequences for being a Christian, if you've had a friend turn on you, or a family member avoid you, or a supervisor reprimand you, that's disorienting. Like you are trying to live as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, and yet there's someone in your life or some set of people in your life that don't welcome that. And not only do they not welcome it, they want you to shut up about it. That's disorienting. And in those disorienting moments, prayer orients us to the character of God. In this moment of disorientation for these early Christians, they come together in prayer, and look what they say in verse 24. They lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Notice that they start their prayer vertically. They don't start with the circumstances that are going on around them, though that's the thing that they're probably feeling in a pressing way. They start their prayer vertically. 
sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then notice what they go on to say in verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. You'll notice in your Bible, this is set in, indented, because it is a quote from the Old Testament from Psalm 2. So they begin vertically glorifying God for who he is, and then they quote some scripture in their prayer. And I want you to notice the amazing doctrine of scripture that's given to us right here. Look what this verse is saying. It says, the sovereign Lord, through the mouth of our father David, said by the Holy Spirit, the words of Psalm 2. It's saying, God through the mouth of David, by the Holy Spirit, said Psalm 2. So we have the human author, David. We have the agent of inspiration, the Holy Spirit. We have the divine author, the sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth. This, in one verse, is the doctrine of organic inspiration. When we say the scriptures are the word of God, or the Bible is inspired by God, what we mean is that the sovereign Lord has spoken through the thoughts and words of the human writer by the power of the Holy Spirit so that the words written are God's very word or you could even say God's voice. This text says God, the sovereign Lord, said these words through David by the Holy Spirit. This is why the Bible isn't just any book. It is God speaking. And that's why the Bible should be present in our prayers, even as it is in theirs, because prayer orients us to the character of God. One of the chief purposes of prayer is to remind us who God is. We don't pray just to ask God for things, just to read our list of what we would like God to do. We pray to fellowship with God, to reorient ourselves to who God is and what God has done. Prayer orients us to the character of God. And we see in the beginning of this prayer, they look vertically, they praise God for who he is, and they quote scripture, reminding themselves of the things God has said. But second, prayer grounds us in the purposes of God. Prayer grounds us in the purposes of God. Look what happens next. So they've just quoted Psalm 2. And now they're going to interpret their own circumstances through the lens of Scripture. And what I want you to see here is that the thing that they are going to do is also what we do in a little bit of a different way. In other words, when Christians pray, one of the things we're doing is we're grounding ourselves in the story of God. We're asking, what is God doing in the world? And where are we in that story? So they've read Psalm 2, and then they say, verse 27, For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. They read Psalm 2, where God had said, the kings and rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, and then they conclude, yeah, that's actually what happened right here in Jerusalem just a few weeks ago. Like what Psalm 2 talks about is what was happening when Jesus died on the cross. And not only that, but they say, these things 
your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So not only do they understand this is what was happening when Jesus was crucified, they also recognize, and, and the sovereign God has a plan that he's working out in all of this. And listen, this is the key insight that sets Christian prayer apart from all other kinds of prayer. I mean, Christians are not the only people who pray, right? People all over the world pray to a God or gods. Prayer is a very common reality in human life and in human religions. But listen, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, prayer is almost always transactional. It's always a way of trying to get God to do something that we want done. It's a way of getting God to accomplish my plan or giving God what he wants so I can get him to do what I want. That's what much prayer is apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But see, Christian prayer understands God already has a plan. God is already doing something in history Christian prayer is about joining my life to God's purposes. It's not about transacting and getting God to do what I want. Rather, it's about understanding how what God is already doing in the world and in my life come together. These early Christians recognize, God, what happened to Jesus is what your plan and your hand predestined to take place. And if that was true of Jesus, then that's also true in the moment that we're living in. God's plan sent Jesus to the cross. God's plan drew us into fellowship with him through faith in Jesus. And so we pray in order to join our lives to his purposes. Prayer grounds us in the purposes of God. In prayer, we learn to read our circumstances in light of the bigger story that God is writing in the world. We learn to find our place in the story God is telling through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Last Sunday, after I finished preaching the 11 o'clock service at Quorumdale, I got in my car and I drove to Minneapolis. And I drove there to be with my friend, our friend, Trent Sensky, who many of you will know. Uh, Trent was a part of Quorumdale Church when he came to faith as a Division I soccer player at Creighton University, came to our church as a college student, was discipled here, moved to Iowa City to marry his wife, got involved in Christian ministry there, and then we brought him back and he served on our team here as part of Quorumdale Church for a few years. And then in 2016, we sent Trent and Laura and their kids back to Minneapolis where they are both from with the goal of planting a church in South Minneapolis. And so Trent did a one-year residency with another church there in town. And then in fall 2018, he launched Emmanuel Fellowship in South Minneapolis. There's Trent talking about Jesus on the steps outside the Laura Ingalls Wilder Middle School in South Minneapolis. And, and for two years or so, this church had good traction. They were gathering a diverse, multi-ethnic core team on mission in a part of the city that really needed an expression of the beauty and goodness of the gospel. And then on May 25th of 2020, George Floyd was murdered four blocks from where this church gathers for worship. And as you can imagine, that changed a lot of things. The neighborhood reacted. Racial tensions within the city spiked. That block of Minneapolis became the focus of national and international attention. And in the midst of all that, plus COVID, 
It was a very difficult time to try to gather a church. And Emmanuel Fellowship began to lose traction. People that were on that core team moved out of the city entirely. Some leaders left to go to other churches in the suburbs where things were calmer. Some of the racial tension in the neighborhood was felt within the church as well because they were trying to build a multi-ethnic core team. And when racial tensions are high, that becomes challenging. And in the midst of all of that, they ended up moving to another school because they couldn't meet in Laura Ingalls Wilder School anymore and sort of tried to restart the church. But last Sunday, five years after it started, Emmanuel Fellowship closed its doors for good. And so on Monday morning, Trent and I walked around the city of Minneapolis and, and prayed and walked through these neighborhoods and those target areas and walked by some of the gathering spaces where Emmanuel Fellowship had met. And we just sought to ground ourselves in the purposes of God. Because our plan was to see a church birthed. Our plan was to see a redemptive gospel community started in this neighborhood in South Minneapolis. We wanted to see God birth a multi-ethnic, gospel-loving, Bible-preaching church. And yet no one had accounted for the possibility of a generation-defining tragedy happening on the same block that just changed the nature of what was going on in the city at that time and since. And so as we just walked and prayed, part of what we did was just to say, Lord, we don't know what Minneapolis needs and we didn't see all that was going to happen, but you did and you know. And so whatever you're going to do next year, help us sense it and see it and be part of it. See, our plan that we were pursuing didn't particularly materialize in the way we were hoping for. But listen, because Jesus is risen from the dead and because his gospel is still true and because he still loves our city and that city and people in every city, then we can pray with faith and, faith and joy. Like when something happens that's different than what we would have wanted or wished for, we can still hope in what God is doing. And I can still say to Trent, look, this is, you did one of the hardest things anyone was trying to do. Like the, the work you were trying to do, really, really difficult. God's got something else. Let's see what it is. Let's pray for it and hope for it because prayer isn't about getting God to do the thing we want. Prayer grounds us in the purposes of God. And so when things happen, like are happening here in Jerusalem, like we're happening in Minneapolis in 2020, like are happening in our lives now, when things happen that, aren't the way we would have thought they would come together. Prayer grounds us in the purposes of God. Helps us remember that we're finding our place in a bigger story. And one of the things I said to Trent, and one of the things actually the shopkeeper on Chicago Street that we were chatting with on the sidewalk acknowledged as well, is that maybe there's a bigger thing happening here than any of us realize. Like maybe God's out to do a bigger thing than just birthing a church. And if this is the beginning of that and our nation needs it, then let's trust him for it. Prayer orients us to the character of God. Prayer grounds us in the purposes of God. Third, prayer cries out for the presence of God. Look at verse 29. And now, Lord, 
Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do you see what they're crying out for? They're crying out for the presence of God. They want God to show up. Notice their requests. Now, Lord, look upon their threats. In other words, be present to see what's going on here. I love when the Bible writers speak like this. Because, of course, theologically, we know God, God already sees. God knows what's happening. God's not surprised by what's happening here in Jerusalem. But when they say, now, Lord, look upon their threats, what they're saying is, God, be present with us and see what we see. Hear what we hear. Pay attention to what's going on in this circumstance. God, show up and be present here. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. God, be present to fill us with the courage and the boldness we need. While you stretch out your hand to heal, God, be present to heal. Be present to do things that can only be explained through your presence and your working and your movement. Prayer cries out for the presence of God. Friends, aren't you tired of prayers that don't actually expect God to show up? Aren't you tired of prayers where we're kind of talking to ourselves? instead of talking to the living God. I mean, you probably find yourself doing this. I find myself doing this. If you've been a Christian for a while and you've built sort of a discipline and a habit of prayer, isn't it true that sometimes you just go on autopilot and you just start praying stuff? That if you really stopped and thought about it, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of not a very good prayer. Like, I'm not really asking God to show up. Think about some of the cliches that we sometimes use in prayer, some of the patterns we fall into. Like, have you ever been asked to pray maybe at your gospel community before everybody eats a meal? And maybe there's some kids running around and people are still showing up with food and it's a little distracting. And so your goal is just like, you know, get the prayer done so we can get to eating. Do you ever find yourself praying something like, God, please give us a good night tonight? I got news for you. God doesn't need to show up for you to have a good night. You guys are all enjoyable people, and you're going to have a good night. Like common grace just pretty much guarantees you're going to have a fine night. The presence of God does not need to show up in a special way for you all to get along. Or do you ever find yourselves praying, uh, God, please bless this gathering? What do we mean by bless, really? Do you mean, God, would you show up in power and make something happen that we could never make happen on our own? Or do you mean something more like, God, just keep things predictable and routine so that we don't have to be unsettled by your presence? <laughs> I mean, it's good for us sometimes to step back from our praying and listen to what we're saying, not to critique or to judge, but to compare it to Scripture and say, are we really asking for the presence of God? Or are we just doing a thing here? Prayer cries out for the presence of God. These early Christians are saying, God, we need you to show up and fill us with boldness. We need you to look on these threats that we're hearing. We need you to further your kingdom in the world. God, show up in this moment. Be present with us here now. Prayer cries out for the presence of God. And finally, 
Prayer unleashes the power of God. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed. That's when it happened. Not before that. Not without that. But when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In other words, what happened is their prayer was answered. The thing they had asked for was, God, give us courage to speak your word with boldness. And what happened is the Holy Spirit filled them and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God's power was poured out on them for the specific moment they were living in and the thing they needed. Prayer unleashes the power of God in our lives, in our church, and in the world. Now, when I say something like prayer unleashes the power of God, ordinary Christians get a little nervous because power language makes us nervous, right? Like we've seen a lot of TV preachers talk about a lot of power that can get unleashed if you send a check or, right? I mean, there's people do weird stuff with what it means to unleash the power of God. And so what am I saying? Am I saying that in prayer, that if we just like call on God in the right way, we'll unleash some magical power into the world that will do something? Is that why prayer unleashes the power of God? No, friends. Here's why prayer unleashes the power of God. Because grace flows downhill. And prayer is a way of getting low and humbling ourselves enough to see our need for the grace of God. 1 Peter 5 tells us God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Prayer is just putting ourselves in the low place where we acknowledge our need, our lack, our dependence, our insufficiency, our lack of answers, our lack of wisdom. And when we stay in that place that's low and humble before God, he loves to pour out his grace and power. These people are acknowledging their need for the presence and power of God. And in response, God's grace flows downhill to fill them with his Holy Spirit and to help them speak the word of God with boldness. Prayer unleashes the power of God because prayer humbles us. And listen, I don't know about you, but I want the power of God. I want the power of God in my preaching. I want the power of God in my gospel community. I want the power of God in my relationships. I don't want to live a life that at the end of my life, it just kind of amounts to like, yeah, he did the best he could with what he had. I want my life to tell a bigger story that what God did through that life required a power beyond him, required grace beyond him, required grace beyond them. Like, isn't that the story we want to tell as a church? That whatever God does through us was more than the sum total of what we can do through our ingenuity and creativity and skill. Prayer unleashes the power of God. 
The book of Acts, friends, shows us what people do when they encounter Jesus Christ and are changed by him. And one of the things they do is they pray. A biblical church is a praying church. Why? Because prayer orients us to the character of God. Because prayer grounds us in the purposes of God. Because prayer cries out for the presence of God. And because prayer unleashes the power of God. My longing is for us to be a praying church. And I say that not because we aren't, but because we are, and we ought to seek to grow to be even more so. It's a joy to be in a church where we value prayer. In fact, every Sunday morning, we pray together. Mike just led us in prayer for Pastor Femi and for our gospel communities and for God's will to be done in our lives. Let's excel still more. And so let me bring three questions by way of application, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to come to the Lord's table together this morning. Three questions I want to ask you to ponder. Here's the first one. What keeps you from prayer? Just think about yourself. What are your hindrances, your obstacles that keep you from praying? What is it for you? The answer is probably as varied as the people in this room because for each of us, there are a different set of hindrances. And, and I want you to think beyond circumstantial things like I'm really busy and I have a lot going on, right? True for all of us. But I'm asking, yeah, okay, so did they. Like people throughout history have always had a lot going on. So don't let it be circumstances. But let's, let's ask, now what really keeps you from seeking God in prayer? And would you bring that, those hindrances or those set of obstacles before the Lord and invite him to begin working? Here's the second question. What keeps us from prayer? Broaden your thinking now beyond you to just like us as a church, us as gospel communities, us as Christians gathered together for a common purpose. What keeps us from prayer? Sometimes it's just the habits and rhythms we've built that just are prayerless. Like, I don't know, we just got in a rut of not praying and now we just don't pray. Like, have you ever been in a gospel community where it's like, hey, we're going to pray at the end of the time and then you never get to the prayer time because people talk in a gospel community and sometimes it can go on for a while, right? And so you know what we have to do? We have to reset our patterns and say, okay, hey, how do we prioritize praying together? Like, what keeps us from prayer, and how can we, again, bring those things before the Lord and grow together? And the final question is just this. What if? What if? What might God want to do among us? What if we had a deeper hunger for the presence of God and the power of God? What if we were more connected to the character and nature of God and more grounded in the purposes of God? What if? How might our lives be different? How might our city be different? How might God want to do different things among us and in us and through us? What if? 
What if we took God at his word and believed that as he was doing in Acts chapter 4, so in our day, he is building his kingdom. He is moving forward his gospel. He is transforming human beings one life and one soul at a time and that we get the privilege of participating in that through prayer. What if? What might God want to do among us and through us? And what if it started on our knees? Let's pray together now and then come to his table. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. It's you who have spoken by your voice in the scriptures. Your plan and your hand predestined the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's by your grace that we have gathered here this morning as Christians bonded together, united together in a little community a little local church here in Omaha, Nebraska. So Father, we want to pray that you would awaken our hunger for you, that you would make us long more deeply for your power to be manifested in our lives and in our church. You might give us a deeper hunger to pray and to seek your face. Give us a deeper vision of what we might do when filled by your spirit and empowered by your grace and drive us more deeply into the discipline of prayer. Father, we know that prayer is hard. It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally to us. It takes work and faith and effort and discipline. Grant us to be the kind of people who grow in grace and who seek more of you that we might become more prayerful, more diligent and more hopeful in prayer. Begin even now as we come to your table, as we sing songs about your glory and beauty, as, as we are sent from here to go live as your people in our city this week. Awaken us to our need for prayer and make us a more prayerful church for our good and for your glory. Amen.